This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We take you behind the scenes in and around Major League Baseball with former big league manager Kevin Kennedy and veteran baseball broadcaster Rich Herrera. This is the only weekly podcast hosted by someone like Kennedy who played, coached, and managed in pro ball. So we can take you into the manager's office for a real insider's view of baseball alongside a veteran baseball broadcaster like Herrera who has covered the game from coast to coast. So let's talk some baseball with your hosts. Here they are. The skipper, Kevin Kennedy, and Rich Herrera. Welcome, everybody, to America's Best Baseball Podcast. We say that because it is. Listen, when you're that good, just say it. That's Kevin Kennedy, the skipper. I'm Rich Herrera. Skip, you ready to go? Let's do it. Great. Right. I got this story uh, that I wanted to talk to you about. Oh, well, there's a couple things I want to talk about in this broadcast. Number one, hottest team in baseball, Houston Astros. Uh, <laughs> listen, they run a streak of wins together in the most improbable fashion. Kevin, what's it like when you're the manager of a team that that's that is that red hot and just can't seem to lose? Two one, and Altuve drills it deep to left, make it three in a row onto the train tracks, and the Astros go up four to one. Second home run of the game for Jose Altuve. You, um, first of all, you expect to win every time you, you step on the field. Uh, that's number one. And number two, if you are losing late in the game, you feel like you're always going to come back somehow. Something's going to happen that you're going to come back. Whether a guy walks a leadoff guy and you're down one run in the bottom of the ninth or uh, whether an error happens, something seems to happen that opens the door. And when you have a team like the Astros, a really good team like that, if that door is cracked open, they're going to not only go through it, they're going to break it down and win. And that's that's what's going on right now. That's the feeling you have as a manager. How fleeting is that feeling? I mean, how much do you – Joe Madden used to tell me that if the team was winning, he would drive to work the same way every day, and if the team lost, he'd find a new way to get to the ballpark. I mean, how how precious is that feeling? Well, it's special because, number one, usually you know you have a really good team. I mean, if you've got a team that – you, you know, you don't know that if it, what kind of a ball club you have going in into spring training, whether it's going to be a team that's going to win 95 games or a team that's going to win 85 games or 75 games, um, then it's a little bit different. But when you got a team that went to the World Series that's picked to repeat and go back to the World Series, now the Yankees and the Red Sox will argue with that as well as a couple of other teams. But first things first, got to win your division, and Seattle has something to say about that too. Right. But, but when you have a really good team – and you know it, you just go out there and you, you, you prepare to win every single day. You do that every, anyway, but you, like I said, the expectation is there. And if you don't win is when you actually get upset. If you beat yourself, and that's when you don't let the guys get complacent because if you start opening up a big lead, let's say, and you're the Astros, and, and I think I said this to somebody the other day at Dodger Stadium just talking, 
I said, you know what's good about the divisions today in baseball, the American League East and the National League, uh, American League West, is that there's two teams battling for first place, and we have a double wild card today. And I said, I think that hurt the Braves back in their run of when they won 14 divisions in a row because there was nobody really chasing them down. Chasing them down. They had the thing won by the 1st of September, and I think not playing really meaningful games all the way up until October I think I think it hurt them in some regards. They only won one world championship out of that in 1995. But this year, because Seattle is so good, even without Robbie Cano, the Astros obviously are good. Iron sharpens iron. It really does. And, and the Yankees and Red Sox, both clubs are going to win 100 games. The Astros are going to probably win 100 games. The, the Mariners might win 100 games. That really makes it really where you you, you stay on top of your game because you don't want to throw a game away. And I, I remember I had one of my players, John Valentin, tell me years later after I was broadcasting, he was trying to, he was in the last year of his career, and Johnny was a shortstop for me back in the 90s. And Johnny was trying to make the team with Baltimore. And I was doing my spring training coverage, Rich. And he said, can I tell you something? And I said, yeah. What, John? He said, you know, I, I played for a lot of guys before you, and I played for a lot of guys since you. And he said, but you really kept us going because you would not get mad if we lost a game and played well. But if we won 10 in a row and gave a game away, gave the 11th game away, you, that's when you would get upset at us. And he said it really kept our, our hands in the fire. It really kept us where we, we were on, on point all the time. It really a kept sense of urgency. Sharp. Yeah, you, you managed with a sense of urgency, and it kept us with a sense of urgency that every game is important because – you know, you never know when the next injury could happen or the next two injuries can happen. And all of a sudden, that great that great team that you have, all of a sudden you've lost two key guys and now somebody else gets healthy, then it, it, it could change. So you don't want to take 162 grand games for granted is what I'm saying. Look at the Dodgers, Giants, and Angels. Turner, Longoria, and Otani, boom. There goes your, uh, your opportunity to make some hay. You are absolutely right. When Absolutely. do you get that feeling? How many games is it before you start really feeling that mojo that, that you're unbeatable? One, two, three? How does that happen? Um, usually, you know, in spring training, but I always use the gauge of about a quarter of the way into the season, about 40 games, maybe 50 to the, in a big league season. And, and granted that seasons have changed. The schedule this year is so strange because the teams in the West, for example, uh, they've already played each other four times, two and right. two. And, you know, for example, the Dodgers see the Padres, I think, once. They go to San Diego once in the second half, post-All-Star break, which is unusual. I want them playing in the division in September when exactly. you're slugging it out face-to-face. -face. I don't want you taking on the, the soft underbelly of the National League Central. Exactly. Well, the Dodgers have already been to Arizona twice. Let's say it comes down to the Dodgers in Arizona for the division. Well, they've already played each other. Yeah. So now they're going to have to be watching the scoreboard in September rather than playing each other. So that's why in Boston, back in our day, it used to be the Boston Red Sox would always play the Yankees in September and usually the last series of the season. It and it was something. It, it was done by design because in, in those days, those were the two best teams. And I know the schedule was, was made out that way. I mean, Baltimore was good for a while there too, but because of the rivalry and the history of the game and the history of that rivalry, in the history of the Dodgers and Giants, in the history of the Cubs and the Cardinals, they would always have those series be the final, at least in the final 10 days of the season because it kept, it kept the interest of baseball and the rivalry going. Share, me, share with me what it's like to be in the zone. Like the Astros were in the zone during this, this hot streak. 
We've seen pitchers. We've seen, you know, Oral Hershiser where he ran off all those scoreless innings. We've seen hitters where they say the baseball's as big as a beach ball. What's it like to be in the zone? Boy, when you're locked in, I mean, you say Hershiser in 88, and I was fortunate enough to catch him in the minor leagues before he got there. I always knew he had a great curveball, great movement, great stuff. But when you're locked in, you don't want a day off, Rich. You want to keep playing. If you're a starter, you wish you didn't have to wait four days in between starts. You wish you could start every day. Obviously, your body wouldn't allow you to do that. Um, when you're a hitter and you're on a 15, 18, 20-game hitting streak, you don't want a day off. You want to keep going because you're in the flow. Um, Is even, it more mental or physical? It's it's both. It's both. It really becomes, uh, you've become, first of all, physically you feel great. But secondly, you know, let's say if you're a hitter, you've got your swing down. You've got your timing down. If you're a leg kick hitter, you've got the timing down perfectly. You're, you're reading the ball out of the pitcher's hand. The ball looks like, and it really does. And I've, fortunately, I've had a few good hitting streaks in my, in my career. And I've had a lot of bad ones. But when you're hitting good and you're, and you're seeing the ball well, you see the seams. You see the release point. You can see the, the uh, fastball out of his hand versus the turned hand of a curveball. I mean, you really got that fine focus where when you're out of the zone, you can't find focus. It, that may be fatigue setting in, and that's when guys get some rest. That's when a manager says, you know, you're just missing that pitch. You look like you're a little fatigued. And if you're honest with your manager, you say, yeah, you know, I am. And maybe I do need a day off. Maybe I should take a couple of days and get away from it. Um, example, Justin Turner. Now, part of it was his wrist is still bothering him. Right. But another example is he got a week off uh, about a week and a half ago. He didn't play for several days. And part of it was his wrist is still aching a little bit. But part of it was he wasn't in the flow yet, and he's still not quite in the flow yet of, of what Justin Turner can do. Part of that is because it's his left wrist, and he, he's a finisher with one hand, and that you know that kind of bothers him a little bit. So he might have to alter some things. We'll see. Maybe not. Well, but, I like when a manager tells a guy, hey, don't even put your spikes on today. You're not playing. Just sit there and yeah. enjoy the game. It's a hard your thing mind. to do, especially with a bullpen guy and, a, and, a, and let's say your closer. It's a hard thing to do to go to him before the game and say, I'm not going to use you today because all of a sudden, naturally, you're, play, you're playing in a game and it's a four to three game and you, you need him and you've used your eighth inning guy and you've used everybody. And you go, oh, man, I just don't want to get that guy up. But at the end of the day, you know you can't and, and you need to, it, you're better off managing 162 and managing series then you are saying I got to win every single every game. Single now, game. now, when I say that to fans out there, that doesn't mean every day you're not trying to win. That just means you you know as a manager. That's why winning series. I've always said, Rich, and you know this, winning series are the most important thing. If you play 600 ball, you're going to win a division normally. Right. Streaks are dumb. Streaks are awful. Streaks yeah. are the worst thing you want because I can win 10 in a row and I can lose 10 in a row right. and I'm still back to 500. But for you, I guess it's more like a NASCAR driver that's driving. He can put his foot to the pedal and, and press the accelerator down to the very, very bottom the entire day, but he's not going to win the race because he's going to run out of gas. Absolutely. That's right. There's sometimes you have to make a pit stop, otherwise you're going to run out of gas. You may time it and think, you know what, I've got enough to make the last two laps, and then you don't, and you run out of gas with two laps to go. That's a great analogy. That's what the season is in baseball because, as we say, the cliche, it's a marathon, and it really is. Now, if you're playing a seven-game series and that's it at the end, yeah, you're going to use everybody you can. I mean, look at the Dodgers last year against, speaking of the Astros, they used Brandon Morrow in all seven games, but he was out of gas at the end of the day. And not, right. that, he wasn't, not that he wasn't still throwing hard, he didn't have the same command. And when you're not 
when you're, when you're tired, you're fatigued. When you're physically burnt, yeah, exactly, Rich. You know, it's not that you can't throw as hard, or it's not that you can't swing the bat as quickly. It's just that you just don't have the same release point, and you you just don't have it. You just don't feel the same release point. Where when you're in the flow, great question that you asked today, by the way. When you're in the flow, you don't even think about your mechanics. The ball just comes out of your hand easily. And you've heard that term before, Rich. Man, the right. ball comes out of his hand easy. That's what that means. You know, that's really the what that's got such a great stroke and he just boom, that, that yeah. ball it just it explodes out of his hand. Speaking of explosions, how about the Bronx Bombers? The New York Yankees are living up to that name of Bronx Bombers. Kevin, they have a chance to smash records around baseball for home runs individually and as a team. Uh this is from ESPN following Tuesday's four homer showcase. Their major league league seventh such game this season. The Yankees are at pace at 273 home runs. The single season record for team homers is 264 set by the Mariners in 1997. And uh, with this barrage of Yankees, uh, they've got a chance to, to, to crush that one. Swung on and driven to deep left center. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. It's a game-winning bottom of the ninth. Two out. Walk-off home run by Giancarlo Stanton. Giancarlo. Non si può stoparlo. Well, the biggest player that I've ever seen and, and have known in baseball is Frank Howard. He was a great, and who was a great guy, by the way. He was a great hitter, great power hitter. Um, Six foot eight, six foot nine, monster of a man. I, I remember talking to Johnny Padres, who was a teammate of his with the Dodgers, and Johnny said for breakfast on the road, he would have a dozen eggs, he would have two steaks, he would have, uh, you know, uh, eight or nine, ten pancakes. I said, Come on, you're kidding me, aren't you? That's a cartoon, isn't it? He said, No, that's what this man would eat. Well, after I met him and saw him, yes, that's, that's, I believe that's what he ate. So when I first saw Aaron Judge in person, and I first saw Giancarlo Stanton when I was with the Rays with you back in 09 and 10, and I, I went down to meet Giancarlo in person because he's from Notre Dame High School, San Fernando Valley, and I wanted to go down and meet him just because he's from the Valley where I live. And I introduced myself, and I went, man, this is a monster of a man. This is yeah, this he's a, ginormous. It's a big guy right here. Yeah, this is a very, very big guy. And uh, he's like he's linebacker size. He's defensive NFL. Yeah. Size. Yeah. And he can run, you know, and you're just going, man. But when I saw both of them together on the same team and you're talking about Aaron Judge and, and Giancarlo Stanton, let alone Gary Sanchez and the rest of the guys that, that are hitting home runs. I mean, even he has um, got 14 bombs right now. I know he does. I know it. It's uh, and Gary Sanchez isn't even hot yet. and He's still got double figures in home runs. Um, that's pretty incredible. Now, listen, the 1927 Yankees, which people say that's still the best murderers team row. ever. Murderers Row, Gehrig and, and, and Babe Ruth and all that. I, again, I don't know how you compare that because that was a different era. We don't know what the climate was for those that believe in climate change and all that. We, we got, you got to factor <laughs> that in for crying out loud. If you want to get real technical. Now, now you're jumping you know, the shark. Well, you know, that I, I'm not saying I do, but I'm sure there are people I'm out sure there. I'm sure there's a know. Sam Retrition that's going to figure out the humidity index at you, old you, Yankee you Stadium, new it. Yankee you Stadium. So how do we pitch now, to these guys? So I got Aaron Judge, uh, as of our recording, 18 home runs. Hicks has got 10. Stanton, 17. Didi's got 14. Sanchez, 13. Torres, 14. I mean, what do you do when you have guys up and down the lineup that just mash, and if you make a mistake, boom, sayonara, see you later, it's gone. Well, first of all, you've got to face nine hitters 
that day and get 27 outs, okay? So you prepare you prepare inning by inning. You don't worry about his third at bat before his first at bat is over with. If his first at bat he hits a home run, then you got to get him out the next time up. You can't worry about what the history says, what the numbers are. Uh, you know what the numbers are. You mentioned the 97 Mariners. I managed against those guys. That's when A-Rod was there, Edgar Martinez, Jay Buhner, um, Ken Griffey Jr. That was four, just to name four. Brett Boone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had four guys that could hit 40 home runs, okay? And we went through them when I was in Boston especially, and we played them well. Um, we had our own mashers in Conseco and Mo Vaughn, and, and Mike Greenwell hit some, et cetera. But, but point being is you got to manage by inning. You know, it's not it's by outs. I've always said you manage by thirds. First three innings, second three innings, last three innings. The final nine outs are the most important. So you can't let what happens in the first inning affect what happens the second time around the lineup. Because if you do and you quit on yourself or you say, you know what, that wasn't the right game plan, then I think you're making a mistake. Maybe your game plan was okay, but your execution wasn't. All right, that's, can I go to game plan that, for a second then? Sure, you bet. So if I'm an average pitcher and I know where I, I live and, and what I do, but I know what they do, do I pitch to my strength or do I try to pitch to their weakness? I think you got to always stay with your strength, but also recognize you got to make adjustments and, and go to their weakness as well. Because if you're a one-pitch pitcher, you're going to be a closer. You're not going to be a starter. There's no right. one-pitch pitchers in the big leagues that are starting, okay? You've got to have at least two pitches and preferably three uh, that you have command of. If you've got three pitches that you have command of, you're going to be a pretty good pitcher. I'll just take um, – Take guys like Kyle Hendricks mm-hmm. or Zach Davies. These are not power guys, but when they're on their game, they've got fastballs that are 88 to 90, curveballs and change-ups. They change speeds and they change uh, deception and, and uh, eye level with their with their curveball and the way they use their fastball. They go in and out and up and down, but they also have deception with their change-ups. So um, point is you don't have to throw 98, and if you do throw 98, um, big league guys are going to hit that. So you have to have a secondary pitch. Preferably, if I was if I was a two pitch pitcher, I like a guy with a fastball and a changeup. Uh, guys like there that are can act, people all across America, can actually win. There are people all across America right now going, "No, Kevin, I've got to have a breaking ball. That's why my fourteen year old needs to start throwing a breaking ball. You can't yeah, just well, live with a fastball and a changeup." Well, believe it or not, check out Mario Soto. Check out Ramon Martinez. Uh, Ramon Martinez won twenty games with. L.A. with a fastball and changeup. His curveball, you spat on it. It wasn't it wasn't anything you even looked for because he could never get it over and he didn't throw it very much. But he had a great fastball at 98, and he had a tremendous changeup that was 12 miles an hour slower that looked like a fastball, and he had command of both. So you can get away with that. Um, we, we, but preferably you need three pitches to be a successful starter and command of all three. Okay, we talked about this on satellite radio. When Stanton joined Judge, and, and we both said it because we've seen it before. I mean, I, I worked in Florida, uh, down in Miami, and I, I actually went through and did all the tape and the homework on Stanton when he went when he had a month where he was just awful. I right. saw he was chasing everything down and away. Right. Nobody was coming over the heart of the plate. Nobody was throwing inside. He was just chasing everything away, striking out left and right, and people were, oh, that's it, he's done. Obviously, he's recovered. We both said it, that they're both pitchable. Which they are. They're both pitchable. You can get them out. But what I'm wondering, Kevin, is how contagious is home run hitting and red hot hitting? How contagious is that on a club? Well, I think there's a confidence that exudes. I mean, I talked to Kenley Jansen the other day, um, last Saturday night after the game, and I said, What are the 
couple of the biggest reasons why, Kenley, you guys um, are coming back and winning like the, like you did the last few years, like you're on these, the streak of 22 and six or 21 and seven or whatever. He said, first of all, the presence of Justin Turner being back has mm-hmm. meant a lot. Um, and he said, second of all, we walk on the field now and we exude confidence. We just we just feel like um, we got our leader back. We started winning a couple of games, even though he's not hitting yet. We just felt the confidence. And he said, third of all, everybody started contributing that wasn't before mm-hmm. out of necessity. So guys that went down, we kind of relied on Kershaw and Ryu, who was pitching so great at the time. And those guys went down. So he said, we knew we were better than what we were playing. So we had to step up individually, and each guy has. And so they just took it upon themselves. Each guy just take care of yourself and don't worry about everything else. And if you're a good player, which which most of those guys are, then the, the, the execution will be there. And that's really what happened. Confidence plays such a big part of it. You know, talking about Judge and Stanton for a moment, there's one thing, a couple things I got to mention about when you're going through a lineup like that, like the 97 uh, Mariners, Mariners that I mentioned already. Or this Yankee team. Or you're going through the Yankees, or you're going through the Red Sox team, or you're going through the Astros team. And these are deep lineups. But you got to throw strikes. Strike one becomes the most important pitch. No matter, you know what your, no matter what your pitch selection is, fastball, curve, slider, changeup, knuckleball, whatever, you got to throw strike one. I mean, the difference is insurmountable. If you, if you're, and if you walk, guys, if you let that lineup turn over four and five times, those good hitters are going to get up for that fifth time. Those number two hitters like Aaron Judge or, uh, you know, Paul Goldschmidt's hitting two now. You're going to let you're going to see that guy in the ninth inning, and if he's one for four, I guarantee you he's going to end up two for two five. Two for five <laughs> happens um, every time. So strike one is the most important pitch, and not walking any good buddy. Not not beating yourself defensively and not putting extra base runners on. Don't give up an extra RBI because you if got the next it. guy hits a home run. And then the other part of it is we talked about it. Uh, we've talked about satellite. We've talked about on podcast that if you're ahead of the count, then you get to control the pitch. You get to waste one outside. You get to get him to chase. Well, you're behind an account. You're pitching defensively. And let me, let me tell you, it's like managing in Colorado or playing in Colorado. I mean, they, they spent a hundred million dollars on a bullpen that they thought would be the difference of three guys at the end, including Wade Davis. But what I've seen those guys, Brian Shaw, Jake McGee, Wade Davis, as good as Wade Davis has been. I never have seen Wade Davis spike curveballs 50 feet in front of home plate with men on base. I've never seen him walk so many guys. Um, I've got to believe, honestly, that if there's not something wrong with them, that it's the ballpark. I mean, it's just it's the, it, it's the it, thin it, air and the, the it's ball the thin air. Grab the the air doesn't grab the seams as well. So what you've got to do in in ballparks like that, and I managed in Albuquerque, which is very similar as far as the PCL goes. That's back why all in the, the PCL numbers were always uh, scalped; they were inflated between uh, Albuquerque and Phoenix. And I used to tell my pitchers, guys that pitched for me in AAA, the John Wetlands of the world, and the Ramon Martinez's, and even Pedro's, you got to throw strike one. If you end up walking guys because you're afraid the ball will get hit, then you're only going to go be two and zero oh and three and one all the time, and eventually you're going to have to throw a strike. And now that hitter can sit back and look for the pitch he wants and keyhole you because and hit you out of the ballpark. Because hitter's count. Exactly. So it's strike one no matter what ballpark is the most important. And when I watch uh, Colorado, I see ball one, ball two, ball three, three and one, you know, home run, a walk, a double, 
You know, I, I just see so many guys on base because they're not throwing strikes. And it's not mechanics to me. It's It's got to be mentally upstairs at what affects guys over the years. We always say good pitching will beat good hitting. Well, this is great hitting. Um, baseball's a, a game that will always bring you back. It is what it is. Uh, you, you are who you are. Um, do you see this Yankee ball club keeping this up, this torrid pace all season long? I mean, eventually – Good pitching is going to catch up with you, no matter how good of a hitter you are. Well, I think I think you'll see it because there's not enough good pitching around. You know, the pitching back in those days that we're talking about was better. I don't care what people say. Well, people say pitching's better today. No, it's not. No, no, it's no, not. no. You well, might have harder throwers per man, but you don't have better pitchers. Right. Well, you had less teams. So you had you, you didn't have guys. There are guys in the big leagues that would not be pitching. Well, I'm even talking about because the 90s, late 90s. I'm well, even yeah. talking about the late 90s when we had 30 teams or 28 teams. I'm not even talking about mm. expansion. There, those those pitchers were better. Oh, speaking of and, expansion, I did place a call. I'm trying to get the, the folks from Portland on the, one of our podcasts this month to talk about expansion into Portland. Good. I'd like to talk to somebody from there, and I'd like to talk to somebody, somebody from, from Montreal. Montreal as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, it'd be awesome. All right, let me move this along as uh, we have our podcast. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash uh, America's Best Baseball Podcast is our is our Facebook page. I wanted to bring this story up. Somebody we both know very, very well, David Price, says he doesn't want to be an all-star. Here's the 2-2 from Price to Heredia. Oh, he got him. A beautiful sinker right on the inside corner. He painted it for strike three in what is probably his last pitch of the game speaking through the media to A.J. Hinch, he says, I'll play Fortnite enough to get out of it. He, he actually has carpal tunnel syndrome, and part of the, the speculation is to, because he's a big video game player, um, and I've known that since he was a, his rookie year coming up, uh -huh. uh, and you would see him walk, you know, I, I'm almost positive I saw him, he would carry his own Xbox with him on the road. A lot of players do. Um, I, I, this just doesn't sit well for me. I don't want to be an all-star. I'll play Fortnite to get out of it. I, I just uh, I, this is just a bad move by Price. I think. Uh, listen, it's an honor to be an All Star, and you know what? You, there, your career goes so fast. I mean, I can remember when David first came up because I was there as well uh, with you guys back in those early years in '09 and '10, and you were there in '08, of course. But uh, when he first came up and actually made it, made it and established himself, I was there for that, working as a broadcaster on TV with Dwayne Stats, and I, I remember you know, how exciting it was and how excited he was and how the fans were excited. And now it seems like the last couple of years, for some reason, there's something that soured upon David Price from afar. I, 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 I think I, it's going to Boston and the, he's, he's in a, he's in a spot that you know so well that Boston is a tough place to play and it's not for everybody. Well, it wasn't for Carl Crawford. It wasn't for Adrian Gonzalez. I mean, they hated it there and they, they, they got their money, but they hated it there at the end of the day. Um, I don't think they realize it until you go there. And listen, um, when you're walking down the street and people are, you know, when you're having a tough time or walking past you and booing you and, and uh, doing some of the things that we're seeing around the country now politically, uh, chasing you out of restaurants and things like that, it, it can be tough, tough place to live unless you want to get in a fight every day. So, um, and it can be a great place when they're winning. So to me, um, I don't know why, if that's the reason or not. I, I don't want to speak for David, but to hear him say that, not want to be an all-star, and when the fans, the people that are paying his salary and the kids that are looking up to David Price that, that want to see him and have his, have his poster on their walls and 
and uh, love David that Price. Jersey T-shirt. Uh, jersey, that's my guy. I want to see jerseys, him at the All-Star game. Absolutely. I've got a nephew that's 10 years old. And I gave him tickets to the game the other day, and he, I said, oh, you're wearing your Yasiel Puig jersey, and Puig didn't have a good day that day. And I said, well, he will next time. But, you know, he's got all different kinds of jerseys, but Puig's one of his favorite. And Puig, if Puig didn't play or Puig would have uh, done something bad that day, I would have talked to Yasiel about it. And I said, hey, I have a 10-year-old nephew that came to watch you play, and you dogged it, you know. That's why Dave Roberts took him out one game, by the way, when he dogged it on a fly ball. That's what Dave Roberts is trying to prove when he took Cody Bellinger out, when right. he didn't run on a ball. It should have been a triple. We talked that's, about that. We that, talked about that. Yeah. We, that's we, why, we've done stuff like that. I have. And that's why Bobby Cox did it with Andrew Jones. That's why managers are doing that, because they know who pays the salary, and they're trying to respect the fans and respect their own teammates. And if it, listen, if there was nobody showing up, there would be no Major League Baseball. Believe me. And that's what be- bothers me because, again, I know David personally. I know his family. They've been very kind to me. David's been very nice to my son. But I wish I could give him some advice of, you know what, appreciate where you are right now because I know a lot of guys that their careers went like that. And when the sure spotlight's does. done and you're looking around and no one's paying attention and, and 50,000 people aren't buying a ticket to watch you perform, it's a lonely experience when you walk away from this game. Rich, um, I found something the other day in my baseball office that I hadn't seen. It was from 1978, and I blocked home plate in Richmond, Virginia. We were playing the Richmond Braves. I was with Rochester Orioles. And it was a picture in the front page of their sports section, and I hadn't seen it in, I don't know, 20, 30 years. And it was a shot of me actually blocking a plate getting knocked over, and then the next frame shows me uh, on my back holding up the baseball. It was a first and third play. They tried to do a double steal, and, and a player named Wayne Krenchicki threw the ball back to me. I threw a strike to him. He threw the ball back. And we ended up winning the game in, the, in, the, in nine innings in, in Richmond on the road there. And I thought to myself, it made me think, God, that seems like yesterday, that picture. I can remember the play like it was yesterday, but it was so many years ago. And it made me think about players today. Do, do a lot of these guys realize how fast this goes? I mean, how, no, how it's but it's part of youth. I mean, it is part of youth. I know because when I was 22, 23, I thought I had the world by the tail. Yeah, yeah you, you do. You think you're invisible. Nothing could happen to you. I mean, I can remember going out and, and body surfing as a uh, in the off season and doing stuff like Trevor Hoffman did, going to the beach because I was a beach guy too and surfing like Dave Smith used to do, the great the great pitcher for the Astros and. And then I look back now and I go and you might take a nephew or be there with your family going, oh, my God, how did I do that? Why would I go I, out there and ta- I, tackle those waves, you know? What am I, nuts? <laughs> you know, um, if, if you, you don't think you're, you no. you're going to get hurt, you think life is going to be like it was, you know, everything's going to be great for you, you know? You know, we just had Father's Day the other day and, and, yeah. uh, and people know that we talked about our dads before yeah. uh, on the podcast on satellite radio. So, you know, my dad's been gone about a year and a half. Yeah. And oh, there was something that happened uh, recently that I was like, oh, I wish I could talk to my dad and apologize because my son actually went to his first big party with a bunch of kids that I didn't know. And, you know, right. <laughs> I got to let him go. He's a senior in high school. I can't right. be that helicopter parent. I was scared to death all night. Now, I would go to those kind of parties, and I was the kind of kid that would be the troublemaker at these parties. My son, my son, fortunately, has more sense than I do, so he called me after about a half hour. Hey, Dad, things are getting a little crazy. Come pick me up. So I did. I was oh, thankful for good. that. But I that's was like, good. Dad, 
I didn't, I don't know. I did not know why you stayed up every night waiting for me to come home because when he was out of my sight for those half hour, oh my gosh, it felt like 30 years because I was so worried. I didn't realize what it's like because when you're young, you're invincible. Yeah, you said it best. That's a great story. And I'm glad your son was smart enough to do that. And, and especially in today's world now, not that it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of bad things in, in our worlds growing up at different times. I, I was responsible for most of a, them. <laughs> as a kid in the 60s, and that was the Vietnam era. And, yeah, there were a lot of drugs. I just saw a, a special on some of the bands from the 60s mm-hmm. and Led, Led Zeppelin and all these groups and the Beach Boys and how they did. They tested every drug there was and LSD and this and that. And I'm going, God. And I remember that as a 10-year-old. I remember hearing about all that stuff. I never got into that stuff myself, fortunately smart enough to stay away from that and stay in sports and play sports. Not that it didn't involve eventually in sports too, but in today's life, now you've got fentanyl coming across the border and you've got the opiates, uh, other types of opiates that are, you know, the oxycodone and stuff like that. So you go to a party and now kids are saying, Oh, this is, this is really just oxycodone or this is a, a, an aspirin. Take it, but it's got a coating of fentanyl, which can kill you if yeah. you take too much of it, you know, or That's mix it with a cocktail. Like, Dad, <laughs> Dad, I so there you go. I am so grateful, and oh, I apologize for any stress I put you under when I was running around. All right, Kevin, yeah. we said we were going to do this every week as we get closer to the trading deadline, talking about the players that are out there. Um, I'm going to ask you to go thumbs up. Are their stock going higher or stock going lower in in the price that they're going to be able well, to I got, ask? I got. I got one right, right, because you asked me about Herrera last week, and I said Herrera would go. Right, so, so we talked right? about Kelvin Herrera, my, okay. no relation, but I'm going to claim him as my cousin moving over to the Washington Nationals. So I still have the list. So Manny Machado, stock rising or falling as far as teams that are going to need Manny Machado to get to the promised land? Oh, I think his stock is off the charts because there's so many competitive teams, so I think it's rising. I think there's a lot of competitive teams, and even though some teams have third basemen or shortstops, he can play both. He can DH if it's American League team. Uh, I think I think his stock is rising. All right, Tyson Ross from the Padres. Uh, I think his stock is good. I think it stays the same. I don't know that it's necessarily rising, but I think he's a he's a guy that teams would look at. Yeah, to add. Uh, Shane Green stock rising, falling. I think his stock is probably rising. Zach, I think he's a vi- Zach, valuable guy. Zach Britton. Well, I think his stock is probably rising. I think he's I think, one of I the think, guys that's going to start shooting up. I think as bullpen as guys we, like that. Yeah, I, I yeah. think this is going to start like climbing up. up the chair. Yeah. Especially now that Herrera's gone, I think yep. those relievers are going to rise. Absolutely, yes. Uh, Mike Moustakis. I think the stock uh, is there for Mike. I mean, he's having a decent year on a very tough club. Do you see it rising a little bit or is I, it is going to soar? Um, I think it rises a little bit. I don't know about soaring, but I think it rises. You know, um, I think Machado, I think Machado, like, like Kelvin, Kelvin, Kelvin Herrera was the best pitcher on the market, reliever on the market. Mm-hmm. I think Machado is the best infielder on the market. Uh, Cole Hamels. No, it's rising for him. Jay Happ. Jay Happ, it's, it's rising a little bit. Not, not skyrocketing but it's rising but is, Cole, is Cole Hamels is, is the so, guy so we're gonna start targeting Cole Hamels as the difference maker yeah but I, I mean I'm not necessarily saying he is I know a lot of people do I remember somebody told me on the channel on XM uh Sirius XM a couple of years ago when it said well he they should have traded him for Corey Seager for him and Urias <laughs> because 
I like I like I like parades better than prospects. That's what his catch right. line was. And I hear him saying I hear him saying it all the time now, and I think you know who I mean. But um, when he said that to me, I said, "Well, you haven't seen Corey Seager." I said, "Cole Hamels is not that difference maker for the Dodgers." This was a few years ago, but is he a difference maker for some other team right now to get into the postseason, like Minnesota, or can he help a Cleveland Indians, or can he help a, even a Detroit Tiger team that's only four games out? Absolutely, stock is rising. I just saw him pitch, and he did okay, not great, but he was he was good at Dodger Stadium last week. See, you know, uh, te- but Texas is the last. Texas is uh, unfortunately Texas. I think is the worst team that. And this is by consensus with the guys that were there. I was around that day. Right. Um, the Dodger people that I was talking to, we were talking about, who do you think the worst team we've seen so far is? And they they all said Texas. And I think they might be right. So I see Hamels and, and those getting moved. For me, unless you can go get a Justin Verlander, and I don't think there's one out there that you can have at the trade deadline, I'm saying yeah. keep your eye on Tyson Ross, who's a free agent at the end of the year, very affordable if you wanted to lock him up for a little bit. And if there's not going to be that ace that's available that I go get to be my number one, I could put Tyson Ross in a three, four, and five spot, and I can win up. And, and he will help me, as we talked about on the podcast. I, yeah, he will help me win series, and that'll get me to the promised land. Yeah, here's my feeling on that. I think he's a good pitcher, but I've seen him in big games, and he and he's he's had trouble in games. Right. Um, so I don't that, want him for big games. I just want him for I know, July, August, talking, September. If you're, if, if you're talking about, but those can be big games. If there's, there's games you got to win to get the wild card. I mean, so I'm not saying I wouldn't want him, but he's had chances with different organizations, and I I I, I always wonder when I see that a guy hasn't really performed with that kind of stuff that he's got and that kind of slider that he's got. Plus, he can hit. See, this is why it's America's Best Baseball Podcast, because Kevin Kennedy's right here teaching me baseball on a daily basis, fans. This is why I love doing this podcast. Where's that voice coming from? (laughs) It's it's the voice inside my head going, hey, uh, Kevin Kennedy knows more than the rest of us. Well, you know, I I hope you're right at that point. And I never even extrapolated that. That's just my feeling. No, no, listen, I I completely understand where you're coming from. My point was that if I've got a team that needs a three, a four, and a five that's solid, or I'm going to have a swing guy coming back and forth from the bullpen or a young kid coming up, I throw Ross in there to help me win uh, the third game of a set. Because, you know, my ace is going to go against their ace, number two, three. If I could put him in a four and a five or maybe even a three in a stretch, um, I got a chance to win that second game, which gives my ace coming back on that fifth day a chance to win the series. Yeah, and I've always liked his stuff. Who wouldn't? I remember when he was with Oakland, tremendous slider, great stuff. And, of course, we saw him in the West a lot and when he was with, the, with San Diego as well. He's, right. He, I've seen him a lot, but I've seen him also in big games. And I, I've just, I haven't seen him turn the corner yet. You know, same. So it's not that I wouldn't want him, but uh, in, a, in a playoff game, um, I, I'd, I'd want to go. I'd want a Cole Hamels or somebody like that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that yeah, that, so. I mean, Cole Hamels is a one, too. Yeah, I'm not saying the stock isn't there. I'm just not saying it may not be as high. I may not be as high on him as you are. Is Cole, that's all. Is Cole a one? I think he's still a one, but but what I've seen he's. I, he's not I wouldn't a Verlander. Him, I wouldn't put him in a class of Verlander. I wouldn't put him in a class of. Um, he's kind of like Dallas Keuchel is right now. Right. You know that, that else was a former Cy Young Award. I think Cole can be a one. I think he was on a good team. I think he'll be motivated again. I'm not saying he's not, but I just saw him. But he didn't a, have great it, command it, last time. Like and, we talked about being contagious. If you go from the worst team in baseball and you go to a contender, it it charges your batteries up again. Absolutely, absolutely, it does. Absolutely, it's tough to be on a losing team, and they have a really they don't have a great team. Let's put it that way. And it's tough to to keep uh, keep 
keep your edge and keep strong, even though you're supposed to be the leader and all that on the we, pitching we staff. Talked about it. We, we talked about it. We talked about the Astros. They expect to win every day. If you're in that Texas Ranger clubhouse, I'm not going to speak for the Rangers. I've been around clubhouses. I was in Oakland uh, covering the A's. You knew that yeah. the A's were the worst team in baseball. You didn't come to the, to the ballpark expecting well, them to win. One team's expecting to win, Rich, and the other team is hoping to win. There, that's bingo. See, again, that's why this is America's best baseball <laughs> podcast. All right, I'm just dropping the mic after that one. That that's perfect. All Say right. that one more time so people understand. I said, well, one team is expecting to win, and then the other teams that aren't so good are hoping to win each day. Because nobody walks in saying, "I'm going to lose today," but the difference between no. I expect to win versus I, I hope I can win somehow. But you know difference. deep down, you know deep down, when you're walking in the mound, if you're Cole Hamels, I hope I get some runs. I, I mean, I, you know, oh, another, oh. another, Hey, how many times did we work in Tampa Bay when Price was pitching or Shields was pitching or Garza was pitching, hey. and they'd give up one like, oh, my gosh, I hope they can score two so I get a win. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the difference. Teams like the Astros expect to win every day. And they, like the Rangers they, hope they can it win. Seems like the Rangers right now are hoping they can win. Yeah. All right. That's it. We're done. That's I can't do anything better than that on this podcast. Don't forget you can find Kevin, Kevin Kennedy, MLB on Twitter. My Twitter handle is RBI Rich. Our Facebook page is uh, Facebook.com slash America's Best Baseball Podcast. Our podcast now available on radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, tune in and everywhere you find podcasts. So until next week, thanks for joining us on America's Best baseball podcast thanks for joining us for america's best baseball podcast our podcast was produced by Braden suppernant find us on facebook at america's best baseball podcast you can find kevin at kevin kennedy mlb on twitter and you can find rich on twitter at rbi rich this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.